Listening to your favorite podcast? That's smart. Earning your degree online from Southern New Hampshire University? That's really smart. With 24-7 access to coursework, no set class times, and dedicated student support, you can go to school when and where it works for you. Low online tuition means you can even do it for less. And dedicated student support means we'll be with you from day one to graduation and beyond. Join a community of learners just like you. Go to snhu.edu today to start your free application. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. So much of what this show is about. And of course, I come to find out, lo and behold, I learned the same lesson that I learn every single time when it comes to a great success like this. It's essentially be a part of a bigger machine, but so low budget that no one's looking at what you're actually doing and sneak a really good product past the goalie without the executives being able to ruin it. And that's exactly what happened here yet again. So all you got to do is you need to start working for, I don't know, um, uh, who, a- you know, well, in, in here's the ABC. problem. All the big companies have now been consolidated. So Disney, you do yeah, yeah. start working for Disney, Disney Warner Brothers, AT&T. Yeah, those are the only ones left. And then and then be like, yeah, but I'm also I'm making stick figures and the budget's ten dollars an hour. So leave me alone and then make your really cool thing. I don't know. I don't get it. But it is how it is. Oh, Jake, Adult Swim. I don't even know where to begin. It's just always been there. It began in 2001 and a 16 year old Jake was desperate for entertainment that spoke for him, even though he didn't know who him was yet. Were you in high school? Are you younger than I was in high school? All right. So I'm just getting to college, brah. I mean, can you imagine a better thing for a person in college than this? This is like made for people who enjoy marijuana, who hate the man, Mm -hmm. you know? So, yeah, were you were you were you on this like white on rice? I was on this like stink on pig shit because I was already obsessed with animation. I already like wanted to be a cartoonist. I went to like summer camp to learn Flash. I was like 100% on board with like cartoons are the best. 
Cartoons are the most powerful thing in the world. Also, would everyone please stop making fun of me for liking cartoons? Seriously, <laughs> I've gone through eight pairs of underwear. The wedgie damage is severe. Please take cartoons. Please let me exist as an adult and keep my masculinity intact while enjoying cartoons. I beg of you. And that's why I've invited all of your bullies from your past into your apartment as a surprise. Get them, guys! Oh my god, it's a wall of meat! Just a wave of toxic energy! Holy lord! How are they able to make out with those hot girls while also giving you a wedgie at the same time? It seems nearly impossible. Uh, anyway, um, I, was, I would stay up late uh, to watch Space Ghost Coast to Coast. I was already enamored with that team, with that energy. Uh, I would like, you know, hang out on ghostplanet.com and, you know, look at the two JPEGs and download the three dot wave files they hosted on there. And then when it was an entire programming block that premiered that was just about mature cartoons, I mm -hmm. loved it. The off kilter sense of humor, the use of all of these characters like, uh, you know, Sea Lab and Space Ghost and The Brack Show. Uh, Harvey Birdman like I was already watching these like shitty Hanna-Barbera reruns in the middle right. of the afternoon on like sick days and shit so like right. I was infinitely f familiar with these just garbage characters that were being recontextualized and then to top it all off they would end every broadcast with fucking Cowboy Bebop one of the best animes ever made and it was like yeah. I would need a cigarette afterwards it was right. profound how much it just keyed into my dopamine receptors for me, I think I got more into it because I was that kid in high school that didn't, or in college rather, that didn't really do the TV thing. I was like, nah, man, I'm, I'm, you know, bohemian or whatever, right? Nah, man, I was, so was stuck actually, in my parents' rec room. I had nowhere to go, and I had a TV friend ready to get me through the week every Sunday night. So for me, I have a big fond memory of when I was living with uh, one Mr. Ed Larson, who is uh, no stranger to this network, and check out Brighter Side, uh, the show he co-hosts. He brought in a box DVD box set of C-Lab 2021. Mm. And we just threw that thing on and got baked out of our minds. And I mean, I binged the shit out of that. I remember um, Bizarro, I got a hold. We love you, Bizarro. <laughs> Still one of the greatest 11 minutes of television. I got a hold of... Uh, the Home Movies DVD box set in college. I remember sweating it out over the summer because my air conditioning had gone bust. And I just remember literally sitting in my living room sweating again. Just going to go ahead and say marijuana was certainly in, in contact with my lungs during this time. And just binge, binge watching the shit out of Home <laughs> Movies. And this is going to come into play. And this, you know, we've talked about it with Futurama, with King of the Hill. Adult Swim was so fundamental in making getting these shows over. It's and that's a whole wing of it that you know it's we're talking about the convergence of all of this counterculture media. It's like failed animated shows from other networks, their own original content, which was like weirder than weird, bizarro humor, and then their tsunami connection and their anime connection, getting amazing anime over with with uh, the counterculture and we're gonna say it first right now we're gonna say it a million times more throughout the episode but the definitely the idea is adult swim is your cool older brother getting you into the real shit uh hey hey hello 15 year old kids stuck in their parents basement here's some new hip-hop here enjoy yeah. hip-hop you've never heard before here's mf doom here's you know, death jucks. And and then I would even literally the the whole thing would actually converge with Loiter Squad. Eventually, the sketch comedy show by the 
dope underground LA hip hop outfit Odd Future, led by Tyler the Creator, which it, it just just really wild swings that you would never see before. Like what these rappers are now just like making a sketch comedy show. And then Holden is like, why can't I get my fucking sketch comedy show that I've been working on for 10 years over at this place. But that's besides the point. It really was that exciting place. I think I still feel this way that I, as much as the budget wouldn't be as much and this, that, and the other, I still want my show on adult swim because they seem to really give you that creative freedom and cultivate something wild like Eric Andre show, Tim and Eric awesome show. Uh, Joe you know, Para Toxie to Sleep. Joe Para, our buddy Joe Para, <laughs> sex, se- as you might know, sexual dynamo Joe Para from Roundtable of Gentlemen. He was on quite a few times. And it's just incredible to see. And of course, uh, go ahead and mention it now. Your pretty face is going to hell with, uh, the, you know, one of my greatest friends ever and, you know, le- one of the leaders of this whole outfit. Our version of Odd Future, Last Podcast <laughs> Network, Henry Zabrowski. It, it's it's a really cool thing that I'm so happy exists, and we're going to talk about how it exists. I'm going to go ahead and say this right now. We are not going to spend 20 minutes talking about Venture Bros. Venture Bros is going to get their own episode. Aqua Teen Hunger Force will get its own episode. We're talking about this network. Tom goes to the mayor. Probably not going to get its own episode. Probably Minority. not going to get its own episode or be mentioned again in this episode. Uh, but <laughs> Brad Neely's Hard Gnarland Sclopio Peepio. Probably not getting an episode. <laughs> Samurai Jack? Yeah, probably getting an episode. Yeah, that'll probably get its own episode. Fully Cooly. Getting an episode. That's going to get its own episode. Fully Cooly Progressive and Fully Cooly Alternative. Probably not getting an episode. And it'll be shoehorned into the Fully Cooly episode. But either way, and then you think about the, and I'm sure Jake could go on and on if he's looking at a list of all the programs. I would never do such a thing. All the stuff that ran for just one season, but it still got that season to get it shot. There's a million Fallen Soldier shows that they let run, though, at one point in time. And, and let them see the light of day where they would never see the light of day anywhere else. And that is why this network is so exciting and so important when it comes to broadcast television and the whole culture of comedy as we know it completely changed. This is also another one of those shows. Hey, we just did Twin Peaks and talked about it a lot. This is another one of those shows that was there for for the dawn of the internet and took advantage of it and is what led to so much of its success. It was one of the first networks ever to actually attempt to have a direct line communication between its fans, its audience, and the network itself. It's a really cool thing. Also one of the first networks to directly stream its content to let people get a hold of it even after it aired. Before, way before Netflix, way before any of that stuff. And, And let me just say this right now. Oblongs not getting an episode, <laughs> not getting an episode. We get a hundred thousand followers on Spotify, and if if my <laughs> that's next, how we're celebrating it. And if my tweet about Snorks gets one thousand likes, I we will be doing a Snorks episode. I mean, very, you'll very be soon. doing a Snorks episode. I will have drowned <laughs> myself in my toilet rather than <laughs> dis, than tarnish my eyes with the terrible cartoon the one cartoon that not even adult swim could help drowning yourself is the most unsnorks <laughs> thing you could do that's what a protest move i'm very <laughs> dramatic <laughs> all right let's get into it 
the Adult Swim, the adult-oriented nighttime programming block on the basic cable network, <laughs> Cartoon Network, that broadcasts nightly from 8 p.m. to 6 a.m. That is, of course, at this point, but that, that, that's those time periods definitely change throughout the, the block itself. Either way, let's very briefly talk about Cartoon Network. We definitely cover Cartoon Network in a different episode. Is it called Cartoon Network? That uh, episode? Yeah, no, uh, I think, yeah, I think we did the, uh, specifically uh, the Cartoon Cartoons and the way it launched yes. their first, like, original mainstream. Original and uh, stuff. how Fred yeah. Siebert uh, kind of took control of that network and kind of pushed them after having succeeded on Nicktoons to yeah. uh, create their own original content. But the important thing we need to know is that Ted Turner, in yes. his own weird ass backwards way, just happened to have bought 70% of all the animated material previously made up until the 1990s. Yeah, so Ted Turner initially inherits his father's ad company in 1963 and then bought WJRJ, which was a cable network that really wasn't doing much on, on, on the circuit. And he turns that network into TBS. After that, he gave us all the gift of the 24-hour news cycle by launching CNN in 1980. Thanks, Ted. Yep. Really appreciate it, buddy. Really needed that in our lives, the 24-hour. Of course, nothing terrible has come out of the 24-hour ceaseless <laughs> news cycle uh, cable networks. My but mental health way, has never been better, and I still have <laughs> most of my fingernails. <laughs> and in turn, he used the same philosophy for Cartoon Network with round-the-clock cartoons after buying Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer slash United Artists. He ends up selling this back, though, just 75 days later. He was spending way too much money way too fast. So at the end of the day, though, he ends up retaining some things from that purchase, such as the MGM cartoons and hundreds of Warner Brothers cartoons, including the entire Tom and Jerry and Looney Tunes libraries. The end result being that, like, basically it's everything besides Disney. And in his own words, he owned roughly 65% of all of the theatrical cartoon shorts uh, that had ever been made up until that point. And then in 1991, to add to his empire of just animated gruff, uh, he buys the Hanna-Barbera studio, which gives yes. him all the Scooby-Doo, all of Johnny Quest, all the Flintstones, all the Jetsons, and every single weird, like, uh, fake Huckleberry Hound Yogi Bear ripoff. Like, he owns everything from Grape Ape to Magilla Gorilla. So Cartoon Network launches on October 1st, 1992, and actually to very surprising success. They eventually started experimenting, though, with late night programming geared towards adults because of a couple of things. Their viewership studies showed that one third of their audience was adults and also The Simpsons drops 1989. Massive hit. Everyone's like, oh, shit, adults and <laughs> cartoons. Adults watch cartoons. What? And then they do what? They talk about it the next day. So they start to think how do we do this and at first they they start airing these blocks at night of uncensored classic cartoons such as the Tex Avery show I'm sure there's nothing problematic in any of that and the Bob Clampett show just just dabbling a little bit but that is when Mike Lazo comes in and this is when everything changes Mike Lazo Born in Georgia, his family moved a lot throughout his childhood, which made it hard for him to have friends. Lazo said, I was shy, and each year when we'd move to a new town, I found it difficult to meet new friends, but I found it extremely easy to find my favorite cartoon show I'd watched in the previous locale. So, as I grew up, my friends were the Jetsons and Huckleberry and my comic books. I just grew to love those things. They were my buddies, and as I got older, I, it didn't go away. I still love to sit down and watch Johnny Quest, which, side note, 
his love of Johnny Quest definitely had big part of purchasing Venture Bros in the future, greenlighting it. And then keeping Venture Bros going for as so many goddamn seasons. So good, though. It's, it's weird that this guy sublimated his own social awkwardness and isolation into a deep connection with televised animated characters who could never judge him. I don't know what that feels like. I can't relate. <laughs> One of my favorite things about Mike Lazo, he is a high school dropout. And at 15 years old, he starts working at a movie theater. And in 1984, he gets a job in the shipping and receiving department of Turner Broadcasting System. Literally started in the mailroom. Actually started, started in, the, in mailroom. the mailroom. Ends up working his way up the ladder to, pro- to the programming department. And he programs TBS's animation block that ran daily in the late afternoon in the late 80s and early 90s, which is how he ended up being the first programmer for Cartoon Network. This is back in 1993. He decides and- which episodes of Thundar the Barbarian they arbitrarily <laughs> air at 2 p.m. He decides exactly. which Bosco shorts are show up on late night black and white at that must have been mind-numbing to program Cartoon Network well, because I remember you, it at that time. If you like that kind of stuff, who knows? Maybe yeah. you're like, hmm, yes. What if, guys, guys, hear me out. We move wacky races to 8 a.m. And people are like, oh, <laughs> what the fuck, Lasso? You're a madman. He was also, he ends up becoming vice president of the network by 1994. And up until this point, Cartoon Network was just a place for Flintstones and Scooby-Doo reruns. And all that. And so he was he was a bit quirky, though, is another little element of him. For instance, he ran the same episode of Screwy Squirrel on April on an April Fool's Day, which received complaints from the cable operator. <laughs> like, what the fuck's this guy doing? And so that's kind of fun. So he's got this reputation. Big love of 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 cartoons, comic books, all these sorts of things. And also a kind of a screwy. wry sense of humor. Yeah. A little screwy, a little fun, you know, likes to mix it up. So and and a go getter too, right? Somebody who's really who's really really um, definitely uh, uh, has that energy, has that has that spark. So this is how we get to Space Ghost Coast to Coast. Lazo said, "We went to Ted and said, please, can we have some money?" And he said, like any parent would, use what you've got, and then maybe we can talk later about this. So Lazo is then tasked with creating original programming with almost zero budget. And a cartoon that would appeal to adults to try to get better numbers in the evening hours. And for this, they dug into the Hanna-Barbera catalog for a character to lead the show. One that had to be pretty forgettable to them, to uh, for them to have access to it. Because this is the thing. They've got access to the library, but they don't necessarily have access to the characters. So all the big characters... They don't have the license to, to repurpose them or use them. So they have to find someone that no one gives a shit about. And there was a show called Space Ghost and Dino Boy that premiered on CBS in 1966 and ran for just 20 episodes. And it happens to be one of Mike Lazo's favorite shows from back in the day. Space Ghost is a cool character. I love it. It was created by Alex Toth, who did Super Friends, Fantastic Four, C-Lab 2020, Birdman, many, many others. And Toth disliked his own design of the character, even said that he did it was he did like his amoeba cape mm-hmm. and all this kind of stuff, which I think is amazing. So even the artist doesn't like his own creation. And that is the one that they go go with and use. It was such a weird because like Space Ghost had uh, superpowers because he was a space ghost, but also he had gadgets, so like they, it's like if you gave um, I'm, how do I say it? It's like if you gave a Banshee an M4 rifle. Like it's a very weird combination. Yeah. yeah. Where he, uh, <laughs> all of all of those Hanna Barbera cartoons were weird. The Herculoids, like all of them, had these like bizarre power sets. So like Space Ghost had to push a button to shoot a beam, 
but he could lift a tank because, no, that's just regular ghost powers. He could turn <laughs> invisible with a push of his belt, but not because he was a ghost. Like, it's all over the place. Birdman's even weirder. I love what they did with Birdman with his solar powers. Yeah. And he could, like, manifest a shield made of energy. But I watched all of these things, and they had their own, like, dream logic to them. And it's just amazing that, like, think think about this. Like, in an age where so much content is consolidated and literally nothing is taken for granted because there could always be a reboot or there could always be a cash tie-in, like, Turner owned so much IP that there was just hours of animated content. Stuff that was, like, made by human beings. Cell animation that was just trash that was just like they did not give a fuck about yeah it's I mean, like I, the public domain we've said some major shit about hannah <laughs> hannah barbera and one of these days we gotta do an episode because we've always talked about how much of like a just a, a, a schlocky churning machine that whole production company was it just threw product out as fast and as cheaply as possible. Uh, it's it's Scooby Doo, but the, it's a shark. It's Scooby Doo, <laughs> but it's a ghost who's also a, uh, he's a, he's like a founding father. It's Scooby Doo, but it's a talking dune buggy. Mister Barbera, can you please stop masturbating in the business it's meeting? It's Scooby Doo, sir. but it's just a slightly different kind of dog. All right, why stop? He's setting the he's setting the secretary on fire. It's Scooby Doo. <laughs> But there's another Scooby-Doo there who's a little Scooby-Doo that... And here's the catch. Nobody likes him. <laughs> we hate the little Scooby. The little Scooby's a little piece of shit. Sold. <laughs> so initially... Now, there's a couple of different accounts of how this all came together. But initially, their idea involved each episode being with a race already in progress. Editing old footage to make it seem like it was an epic race across the United States. And they called it Wacky Races Coast to Coast. As legend also has it, however, uh, uh, or as legend has it, however, the night before production was to begin, Mike Lazo had a dream about Space Ghost hosting a talk show and went into the office the next day and said, cancel the wacky races thing. We're doing Space Ghost coast to coast. However, a different account says that it was two dudes named Andy Merrill and Jay Edwards who came up with the name while brainstorming the title of a Space Ghost marathon. They were just trying to come up with words that rhymed with Space Ghost, and they came up with Coast to Ghost. Either way, regardless, it was uh, this was back in 1994 when the late-night wars were everything. Leno, Letterman, Arsenio Hall, even a young Conan O'Brien, writer of The Simpsons, that took the world by storm. Uh, that's all many people were talking about. There's a movie about it. I remember it dropping on HBO. It was this huge, huge deal. And so they decided, why don't we make like a weird parody repurposing this character as a late night talk show host, which is such a fucking brilliant idea. It would be a brilliant idea today to come up with that. It's just really, really smart, especially to, especially as a workaround for Zippo budget. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you can find on YouTube uh, like these test pilots that were made by Andy Merrill who I believe was the voice of, ended up being the voice of Brack on the Brack show. I believe on, so, yeah. Uh, actually, uh, Mary, uh, super producer Mary, if you could uh, just slip in a little bit of Andy Merrill's like weird space ghost voice from those 1993 pilots. Here's Space Ghost. Hello, everybody. I'm Space Ghost. Welcome to my show. I'm Space Ghost, and this has been my show. Thanks for watching. Join us next time, and we'll have Don Knotts. If you look at the video, it's it's tr like the mouth flaps don't move. Like it's they're just like manipulating stills. It's real trashy looking. But these are the seeds of Space Ghost Coast to Coast. So 
they they take that right. Andy Merrill. There's also a producer, Kaki Jones. They use reel to reel a reel to reel tape machine and an old interview with Denzel Washington from CNN, and they splice it with clips from Space Ghost episodes to create this fake interview. And Lazo, he really likes this. He likes it enough to give a budget of a hundred thousand dollars to a production company in LA to create an actual pilot, and got Gary Owens, the original voice of Space Ghost, and used an interview with Emma Thompson. This, however, it's too clean. It's too shiny, and it's therefore it's cheesy. It's not quite what they want. They actually decide, hey, let's just make the show guerrilla style in Atlanta using the production house Crawford Communications. And there, an animator named Martin Croker pitched in to form many of the show's core concepts, such as the production team being Space Ghost villains, including Zorak as the show's band leader, as well as Moltar being the director, and say, hey, let's purposely make it look janky as hell. That's going to make it so much funnier. Purposely make it weird and awkward. And again, and right now, they're unknowingly creating this massive com- comedy movement, mm-hmm. right? This cringy weird like alt weird awkward style of doing comedy that becomes this hugely popular thing especially on adult swim it's the combination of like hannah barbera visuals which is like associated with the most ham-fisted rinky dink like just third tier vaudeville shenanigans with this anti-comedy where there's just long awkward pauses weird non sequiturs like bursts of violence And one of my favorite things that they did in Space Ghost Coast to Coast is there's this like low engine hum as if they were actually on a spaceship of some kind. Like they were, you know, like Star Trek that just permeates the like low rentness of the entire production. Totally. It's so. uh. So George Lowe, who did TBS voiceover spots previously, was brought in to voice Space Ghost. And he brings out a lot of ad-libbing and doing and a lot of improvisation to the episodes. Actually brings a lot of comedy to it on his own on in his own right. And the show is written at night. I love this too. This is like exactly how this always works for every one of these types of things, as I was describing before, that thing you slip past the goalie. They would write it at night after the conference rooms were emptied out for use. They would have to literally wait till the brass went home so they could use the conference rooms to write scripts. I mean, literally amazing. at this point in Sp- in Space Ghost history, they're hiring like freelancers and doing all the editing work and doing all this stuff like while maintaining their actual jobs. Like yeah. people like Andy Merrill, people like uh Dave Willis, Michael Cahill. Yeah, all these people yeah. are uh, doing regular ass jobs at Cartoon Network. Yes, and and Michael Cahill is editing this in a closet next to a photocopier. <laughs> it was the whole thing. The show was usually written based off of interviews, and the writers were given a lot of creative freedom to work. Sometimes they would request interviews from certain people because they had a concept, things like that. But either way, less than ninety minutes of animation was created for the show's first twenty episodes. In, in 1995, they created 15 new animations and had to artificially create film grain and whatnot so that it would blend in with the old animations they were using and started incorporating a little bit of like newer, newer stuff that they were pumping out. The talk show set was created in, a, in miniature by prop designer Jack Maloney and was shot from different angles to get that talk show feel, that three-camera setup. It was made out of plexiglass, by the way, this, this prop set, and the monitor... The guest popped up on was actually run by a little motor, which I didn't realize like how tangible all this stuff was. I thought it was all just like I can in my head. I can still hear the creaky squeakiness of the monitor lowering. Yeah. God yeah. damn. God, I'm in the 90s. 
I know, right? Everything else has been a dream. I'm just waking up now. I love going back to this time, man. It's like, it is really like a beautiful, wonderful thing. And 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 we're talking about 9-11 times, too. And I'm like, wow. I mean, <laughs> take me back. <laughs> Listening to your favorite podcast? That's smart. Earning your degree online from Southern New Hampshire University? That's really smart. With 24-7 access to coursework, no set class times, and dedicated student support, you can go to school when and where it works for you. Low online tuition means you can even do it for less. And dedicated student support means we'll be with you from day one to graduation and beyond. Join a community of learners just like you. Go to snhu.edu today to start your free application. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Due to Cartoon Network being fast and loose with programming, the team managed to get a 15-minute runtime with just one commercial break in the middle, which was very different. And this is what establishes that this massively, and it does make no sense on cable TV, with 24-hour programming, like, why everything has to be a half an hour or an hour long. They they say, no, we just, 15-minute chunks, so edible, so easy to devour and, and move on. The whole show premieres on April 15th, 1994, in the 11.30 p.m. time slot. And much like the success of Cartoon Network itself, the show surprisingly does quite well. It ends up briefly getting a uh, Space Ghost-hosted show on TBS in 1997 called Cartoon Planet, on which they would host old cartoon episodes with Space Ghost hosting. Oh, and I this would is try right- watching that just as, so I could like get a hit of Space Ghost Coast to Coast, but like it was a little bit defanged. It was just a yeah. little bit too wacky. And so it's also around this time that Lazo hires Dave Willis, who would become instrumental to Adult Swim's success. He gets the job after giving the, the producers at Ghost Planet Industries, later to be named William Street Studios, which is the street the production company was founded on. He gives them a letter of recommendation written in crayon as if from the perspective of a young boy. It's <laughs> <laughs> amazing. Dave said, writing for Space Ghost was like being falsely accused of murdering your wife. It's like taking the SAT with a ballpoint pen filled with your own blood. You suffer constantly, and everything you say is wrong. Interesting. <laughs> While working on the show, Dave meets Matt Mayaro. Uh, and did I say that right? I hope so. I hope so, too. <laughs> he, and they, they, Matt started out answering viewer mail for TBS in the late 80s and uh, assisted on a bunch of B-horror films in the early 90s, such as Basket Case 3, The Progeny, and Dark Man. And these are the two that are going to be the masterminds behind Aqua Teen Hunger Force, because it's around this time that four original new series were created after the success of Space Ghost Coast to Coast, which used the same approach of repurposing old material, which all premiered in December of 2000. We're talking C-Lab 2021, repurposed animation, of course, from a show called C-Lab 2020. You've got the Brack Show, which was a stealth pilot at first, which put Brack from Space Goes Coast to Coast into a Leave it to Beaver parody. Then you have Harvey Birdman, of course, the superhero playing a lawyer in cases involving other Hanna-Barbera characters, which apparently came out of Eric Richter creating a theme song, uh, like a fake theme song about of a fake show and lazo likes the song so much he said hey why don't you actually make a show out of that 
Then last but not least, of course, Aqua Teen Hunger Force. This was the first original show that was not animated using repurposed assets. They did involve uh, characters that weren't featured in Space Ghost Coast to Coast. They were mascots for a fictional fast food chain. But this is totally changed for Aqua Teen Hunger Force, like their characterizations, their voices, everything. Mm -hmm. And they're all aired unannounced in the late night hours listed as special programming. Stealth launch. Mm -hmm. Didn't make a big deal out of it. Didn't really tell people at all. Were you on this tip? No, actually. I missed these around 2000. I just... Okay. I think I had stopped making Space Ghost Coast to Coast destination programming at that point. And um, either, you know, other network, MTV, like other places were showing like young male focused programming blocks by this point. So I think I just found my itch. Like I got my itch scratched anywhere else. But... um. Dear, I didn't know this about C-Lab 2021, and that is that the, you know, the creators, Adam Reed and Matt Thompson, who later went on to have huge success with Archer, uh, and you can really tell that, you know, mm-hmm. one gave birth to the other, uh, they made their first C-Lab 2021 pilot, uh, like, on their own time, using the same, like, archived, uh, you know, cartoon f- stock that they had been using for Space Ghost Coast to Coast, and Lazo told him it was terrible. It was yeah. flat out shot down and not funny. <laughs> yeah. They had to totally redo it, right? And then they finally got the green light. Yeah, which is amazing. They, at that point, they were actual, like, coffee-fetching, like, office assistants. Like, intern-level guys that just went for it. So that's kind of amazing that, you know, again, these are people whose jobs are not show producers. These are just people that ended up in this, like, warehouse in Atlanta because they loved cartoons and weird bad media and just, <laughs> like, out of force of will and just the barest head nod from corporate HQ and, of course, having an executive that, like, let them get away with this stuff, like, got a lot of shit done, which is kind of amazing. Now, Jake, can you explain the relationship between Toonami and Adult Swim as as briefly as is possible? I, okay, so as briefly as possible... Because uh, I feel like Toonami can eventually get its own episode as well, to be quite honest with you, but they are entangled in this way. Toonami was the most mature and effective kind of execution of the targeted programming block that had existed through uh, the Cartoon Network company up until that point um i believe the programmer of that is a guy named jason demarco and uh everything from introducing like kind of uh having a hosted uh block where you know we have our 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 main for them it was tom uh the cool android with the bulbous sphere body and head voiced by voice of spike spiegel uh steve bloom i guess i guess uh Toonami kind of did what Adult Swim kind of sought to do in that uh, it kind of talked to the audience from the perspective, not as like, hey, kids, like, are you ready for some fun? But like, just from like a cool older brother perspective. Right. And they're introduced in 1999. I think the main thing to know is they were all under the same roof initially, at Mm -hmm. least. And they would actually help each other with bumpers and things like that, even a little bit and with with marketing and stuff. And so... That aesthetic or that uh, that approach of cooler older brother was shared and even even not just shared as a philosophy, but also the work was shared at times. Sometimes they would literally just be helping each other out with different concepts and ideas. So Toonami is 
such a big part of the DNA of Adult Swim and how where it came from. So it must be mentioned here, at least briefly. Now, you also have this around the time we can discuss home movies, which was originally on UPN in 1999, but it was canceled after just five episodes due to poor ratings and sometime later was purchased by Cartoon Network. I watched those five episodes. <laughs> I was a do- I loved Dr. Katz. I thought I Squiggle Vision was neat. Movies. I even watched I fucking Science Court. All right. That's how much yeah. <laughs> I'm on that Lauren Bouchard Squiggle Vision kick. And uh, I even watched all those UPN. There were so many weird, nerdy UPN shows that did not fit with the rest of like the urban sitcoms that they were airing. Right. It was kind of. Just like they aired Dilbert on UPN. I watched the so Dilbert weird. show and home movies on UPN. They 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 revive home movies and even give it an ape episode order. And this is the first in the trend of not just repurposing old cartoons for original content. Then you have even just straight up original content with Aqua Teen Hunger Force. This was the first step in them actually reviving TV shows via Adult Swim, or what eventually would become called Adult Swim, which is a massive part of how they were A, able to stay afloat, but B, just their whole uh, their whole philosophy and it's, approach. And a lot of, uh, we'll, get, we'll get into it, but like a huge part of Adult Swim's success in monetarily was picking up yes. these uh, shows like Home Movies, Futurama, Family Guy, where- yep. They were good shows. They had deep, dedicated fandoms, but like the intended audience just wasn't ready, wasn't around for them when they needed them. We've talked about how uh, Futurama, especially, had just been fucked over by the scheduling, yeah. by NFL games, by the network, and by giving it this pa- this holistic packaging where the audience was specifically targeted to. It was given a specific time. It was like told they were welcome. They were interacted with. And it was presented by, uh, you know, because this is a low-rent cable network or a network within a network. And that's like, they loved these shows too and were excited to share and promote them. So home movies got way more love from Adult Swim than they ever did on the UPN, where it was like, what are these squiggly pajama children that talk like grownups? This is not what, like, you know, who right. are pre- like, the, the H. John <laughs> Benjamin fandom was not ready on UPN. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, of course, of course. So this is where we get to Adult Swim. Elazo goes with the name Adult Swim based on the concept of kicking kids out of the public pool so the adults could have a turn. The the common thing it would happen in adult in in public pools and started promoting the block at 2001 San Diego Comic Con as well as via press kits that looked like a first aid kit and contained a promotional VHS with info on all the shows. And the final addition to the lineup, as Jake mentioned before, was Cowboy Bebop, which had some popularity in Japan, but actually was not hugely successful out there, largely because it was so American-influenced. So it was a perfect way to get an American audience into anime that might otherwise not uh, without it. So Cartoon Network and Bandai had a good relationship. So it was actually quite easy for Cartoon Network to acquire the rights for Cowboy Bebop, but the hard sell for them was actually getting it onto Adult Swim internally, as it was such a dark show. As we as we talked about in our uh, Cowboy Bebop episode, yes. scroll through the archives, it's there, you gotta scroll hard, there. but you'll find it. Toonami had been airing a lot of Gundam programming, which was Sunshine and Ban- the animation company and Bandai's like real cash cows, and they were succeeding with, uh, you know, there was way more Gundam interest in the West because of the Toonami airings. So Cowboy Bebop, which was this kind of, as we talked about, this weird, like, 
expensive experimental show that was done through Sunshine by a bunch of Gundam alumni. You know, it was easy to just be like, hey, can we have this one too? Yeah. Jason, Jason DeMarco, Adult Swim programmer, said, the reason we kept airing it over and over wasn't because it pulled in massive numbers, although it never did poorly in ratings. We ran it because primarily Mark Lazo, who runs Adult Swim, loved it so much. So at the end of the day, you have this guy at the wheel that's not looking at the numbers. He just wants to put on the shit he wants to put on, which is uh, which is how we get to where we get with Adult Swim for sure. I cannot, I'll, I'll, I'll stop saying it, but I just cannot stress enough how in 2001 to 2002, when you, they aired the home movies, they aired the all the weird alt shows and then capped it off with Cowboy Bebop at 10 o'clock. It was just, I was shook every week. I couldn't, I had to get home and I had to be there. And like, I would start fights with my, with my parents. They'd be like, is your homework done? I'd be like, Spike Spiegel waits for no man. <laughs> also to promote, they launch adultswim.com, which is not a popular move back then to have a website for your product or entity. And this gradually helps with fan outreach, marketing, and also just coming off as with it, as with the times for the younglings, as I refer to them. They also have those bumpers, the footage of adults swimming in public pools with a lifeguard VO done by Louis C.K. requesting that the kids get out of the pool. And that was their first advertisement thing and their first use of weird bumpers. And these bumpers are going to continue to evolve as the show or as the network continues to evolve. Let me transport you back to that time when the adults were kicked out of the, where the kids were kicked out of the pool. Uh, the official music that they that they used for that uh, first run was a remix of Mambo Gallego by none other than Tito Puente, whose name I only know because he was on the Mr. Burns, who got shot Mr. Burns episode of The Simpsons. <laughs> but uh, Mary, just play a couple of bars of Mambo Gallego and now you're back in time. Also, you have Adult Swim action. In early 2002, the block ends up splitting up into two nights, with Saturdays having imported anime and Sundays showing its original comedies and acquired shows. And this was largely thought to be due to people complaining in forums online, either about not getting their anime or enough of their anime or not wanting their anime in the comedy block. And so, again, you immediately have this communication directly happening between network and the fans online, which is going to be such a part of big part of their identity. So for Adult Swim Action, they added Yu Yu Hakusho, Pilot Candidate, Gundam 0083, Outlaw Star, and Tenchi Muyo. Some of these aired on Toonami before this, but that is what consisted of the initial block. And now they're starting to play around with the bumpers as well. They start mixing in new increasingly odd bumpers with the pool-themed ones, including Aquaman Dance Party, where the same animation of Aquaman would play over different live-action backgrounds. In 2003, the pool bumpers were replaced with fake pool safety manuals. This all helped turn the animation block into just one big cohesive show. That also led it into even more of a territory known for experimentation. So now you're like, when you are in Adult Swim, like it is, it is like a, it almost feels like a variety show with these 15 minute long episodes of things all mixed in with these bumpers that unify it all. It's its own thing. Nothing else really exists like it on cable. 
So in 2003, Adult Swim picks up a handful of shows that had been ordered and then canceled by other networks that we mentioned before, most notably with Futurama and Family Guy. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You're just blowing past Baby Blues like it was nothing? And Baby Blues. Motherfucking Jay. Baby Bubba Blues. <laughs> oh, those parents are so harried because their baby gets into so many goddamn shenanigans. Baby right, Blues, baby. motherfuckers. All right, Baby Blues. Hold on. Please confirm I'm burying my chest and you see across it my clavicles. Hair. It's There's just hair. under the hair. It just says baby blues. Number four <laughs> life spelled with a Y. The greatest cartoon ever made ever aired on Adult Swim. I cannot see it because of all the hair. So I'm just <laughs> going to go ahead and throw it out there. I cannot see it because of the hair. These shows, by the way, end up becoming easy pickings for Adult Swim because they're in, in hindsight. It's insane to me. They're having trouble getting syndication with other networks. So Adult Swim is able to just swoop in, scoop them up for a great price. And they end up being massive hits for the network, giving Adult Swim a 239% increase in viewership. And they be, they also start putting the DVD sets out, which become bestsellers. And that this is in 2003. They also aired an episode of Family Guy that Fox refused to air, which is called When You Wish Upon a Weinstein. And this gives them the reputation of being, like, against the grain, being bad boys, being edgy. I was a fan of uh, Family Guy when it aired on Fox. I remember watching it after the Super Bowl, and I was like, oh, man, this is amazing. This is hilarious. And when they were airing When You Wish Upon a Weinstein, I was like, ooh, this is going to be good. Finally, the show, the episode that was too hot for TV. And... um it was a lot of really just cringy, stereotypical Jew jokes that I just yeah. was like, oh, I wish they hadn't aired that. <laughs> <laughs> that is hilarious. They also, they, airing these reruns, though, they save the shows. They, these shows get picked back up by Fox. They also kept Adult Swim business for years to come, and that is why they're able to just go wild with the experimentation. Adult Swim also nabbed... These shows. I'm still hoping. I'm still hoping for a Mission Hill revival. I sw it'll happen, man. It'll. Ha I know it's been ten years, but I swear the Mission Hill fandom will rise up once again. Yeah, among Mission Hill, the other shows that were canceled on other networks that they ended up scooping up the Oblongs, the Ripping Friends, Oblongs. and God, the Devil and Bob. Oblongs. Oblongs, sorry, and God, the Devil and Bob, and uh, yeah, that was just well known for not only experimental original content but also bringing back the goodies that the, uh, the the scraps that were thrown away from the other spots, the other home bases. And uh, I love this whole thing with like, all right, so they're also playing keep away from the network as a whole. And they did had different tactics for this. It should be noted that AOL purchased Time Warner in February of 2000 for $164 billion. And one would think they would move in and undo something like Adult Swim. But it was actually Vice President and Executive Manager Jim Samples who exclusively acted as a buffer between Adult Swim and AOL. And the building itself, actually, where they work, it was a warehouse filled with ratty couches, exposed ceilings, dim lighting, and, old, and an old foosball table. It was incredibly uncorporate. And they literally had a barrier separating them from Cartoon Network headquarters. It was a highway, which made it very difficult, literally, to just get from <laughs> one building to the other, which allowed Adult Swim to be this separate thing working alone on its own. Matt Thompson, co-creator of C-Lab 2021, said, Mike's take is, leave us alone, we'll make you money. Hiding your people is the only way you can have autonomy. It's one of the main reasons I think he chose to go to that crappy building. <laughs> 
Mike Lazo um, also felt it very important to be in Atlanta. He said, we're outside of New York and Los Angeles. The type of people who come here, they keep us interesting. And Atlanta is a fun, weird, artsy place in the South. It really is a cool spot, made even better so because of Adult Swim's existence there. What also keeps them under the corporate radar is how cheaply they made things. Lazo said, a network animated show can cost $1 million an episode. Who wants to make a $13 million decision that blows up in their face? They'll make safe bets instead. Our system is the opposite of that. You make a risky decision, and if it doesn't pan out, you're not out that much. That's the key. And I think that is a brilliant, brilliant approach. And the reason why I'd rather work under them than some big network, because I'd rather have that freedom than a bunch of money but i can't do anything fun so this is where we hit the golden age of adult swim in my opinion starting in 03 the schedules changed and extended to five nights a week sunday to thursday its website also expands offering even more engagement with fans you've got message boards you've got game like games where they they're having you submit fan art stuff like that they're even requesting programming advice and stuff like that that Featuring fan art, this is all done directly through the website, which not a lot of other people were doing at that point. I mean, other places had websites like, you know, it was yeah. the dot, you know, the dot com boom had already happened. But right. what made it real, what really put this block to the next level was the interstitial text bumpers, which was such a brilliant. It blew my fucking mind at the time that yeah. like. For all the costs that you could have done to put together like a CG graphics package or a live action, you know, little bumper set, kind of like what they did with the pool thing. They just foregoed all of that and just used, I believe the font was Helvetica Condensed New. Uh-huh. White text on a black background that was, even when they were just rerunning a bunch of shows, different every single time. It was just a simple thing, but for a while there... Every little bumper was a unique block of text directly from the guys running the show to the audience in a way that like they would, you know, the text bumpers would be like, hey, we've been thinking about this thing and you guys seem to respond well to it. Like it was us and you. We and you and a direct connection being made, which is because it was just really came out of being incredibly cost effective. It was such a cheap way to do bumpers. It was cheap, and it ended but up they being could so much better. But it was always new. That was the crazy thing. I would sit down and watch, even when there wasn't anything specifically that I wanted to like. Sit, you know, it wasn't like, oh, there's going to be a new Aqua Teen, or like, oh, I got to catch the last episode of Baby Blues, my favorite program in the entire world. I've watched all the episodes of Baby Blues eight times over, but now they're going to air the finale again. Uh, goodbye, Baby. I hate it. A classic episode of Baby Blues. But just for that opening, like, little text monologue that would just, you know, address current events or just how people were feeling or just a big controversy on the forum. Like, it was it was a very surreal way to engage with media in a way that I feel like not since, you know, I want my MTV kind of kicked in and told yeah. Gen Xers that, like, hey, we're listening to you. Like, well, this was, yeah. It's funny that you mentioned that because apparently the idea came from Mike Lazo watching MTV and a message popped up said, that said, thank you for watching. And Lazo responded out loud, you're welcome. And then he was like, oh, we should do that. We should just talk to the people. Why not? Listening to your favorite podcast? That's smart. Earning your degree online from Southern New Hampshire University? That's really smart. With 24-7 access to coursework, no set class times, and dedicated student support, you can go to school when and where it works for you. Low online tuition means you can even do it for less. 
and dedicated student support means we'll be with you from day one to graduation and beyond. Join a community of learners just like you. Go to snhu.edu today to start your free application. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And now also you have the music coming into play and thus creating even more of that older brother, I'm talking directly to you aesthetic. And uh, this is all mainly due to a man named Jason DeMarco, who ends up establishing William Street Records in 2007 to further showcase artists. He was the one that selected the music for the bumpers and things like that. DeMarco said, When Adult Swim started, the whole point was to keep it as cheap as possible. So we used Turner Library Music. There are tons of music libraries and te- the television networks license that are just anonymous uh, artists making music that sounds like somebody else. The guys that made the on-air content and the bumps at that at the time were getting tired of sifting through tons of mediocre music to find the three or four good tracks in the library. They asked, man, can anyone just get us some music? Can you help us figure this out? For years, I had been buying beats from people like Danger Mouse or for Toonami. So through relationships I had with Ninja Tune and later Warp and then Ghostly and now Hyperdub and a bunch of others like Brain Feeder, we go to those labels and make deals to use music from their artists in exchange for a yearly fee. And the music was also released online, which helped to give these groups and artists large, large exposure. Eventually, music and the comedy of Adult Swim would come together with that Loiter Squad sketch show that I mentioned before, thus fully bridging the gap uh, on on the network. But yeah. It was a ton of lo-fi hip-hop, like really chill, relaxed beats. To study and relax to, yeah. Chill, lo-fi hip-hop beats. It's, it's, it's one and the same. It's kind of incredible. And a lot of those, a lot of the bigger names uh, would not have, like it, the genre would not even have its foot in the door if it wasn't for Adult Swim kind of highlighting these artists. Uh, so like that energy plus the uh, stark black and white bumpers really just created like, the antithesis of, you know, the Cartoon Network branding, which was all, again, coming up next, it's another Powerpuff Girl. Like, it yeah. really just completely made it feel like it's its own unique space. Cool space, too. Cool yeah. kid space. In 2005, Cartoon Network separates Adult Swim into its own pseudo-network to better track the ratings, and data showed that Adult Swim was actually taking its main demo, which consisted of 18 to 34-year-olds, away from late-night shows on broadcast TV. It was also noted a cultural shift from what was, the known, what was then known as traditional comedy with Letterman and SNL to a much more absurdist, surreal taste for people that age as being the modern general zeitgeist for comedy. Adult Swim outperformed with uh, men 18 to 34 and adults in general 18 to 34. They outperformed The Tonight Show and Late Show with David Letterman. The only people that like would sometimes eke out ahead were stuff like The Daily Show and The Colbert Report and that key demo. Yeah, totally. So we also have the April Fool's Day pranks. This became a standard tradition Dating back really to Mike Lazo playing Squirrely Squirrel or whatever it was, Screwy Squirrel, over and over again. But uh, yeah, starting in 2004, they aired programs with the characters wearing mustaches, uh, the whole block. 
They also had stealth launch shows during these events, such as Squidbillies. Squidbillies was a April Fool's Day stealth launch hidden as a prank. And the one prank that had the biggest effect was the pseudo-revival of Toonami, which got so much positive feedback, they brought it back for real in 2012. Uh, I believe 2006's uh, episode of Full Metal Alchemist, where they just added a bunch of fart noises to the dialogue, is <laughs> what most people remember. <laughs> Uh, also, you have Adult Swim Video in 2006 being launched. This allowed fans to watch old and new episodes of certain shows online. This is the movement we mentioned earlier that predated Netflix streaming years and years before that happened. Very big move on their end. And uh, man, they're really hitting their stride at this point. Through the 2000s and into the 2010s, Adult Swim adds a bunch of hit original programming. This includes The Venture Bros, Robot Chicken, Squidbillies, The Boondocks, Metalocalypse. We've got to mention Metalocalypse, Jake, please. Everybody loves it. You can't get enough of it. Super Jail and Tim and Eric Awesome Show, their first live action show that firmly established a cringe and absurd humor aesthetic, both for the network and comedy as all changed the whole landscape back in this time. There's also, there's also the fact the sketches were available online after the show would air, which just lent to it becoming memes being passed around all over the internet, this inside joke situation. And, and it definitely led to that kind of approach. There's some debate over whether uh, Solve the Mole Men and Fat Guy Stuck in Internet were the first live action shows, but Tim and Eric was definitely the first hit live action okay, show. Okay, yeah, yeah. Definitely the first hit live action show, for sure. God, I hated Solve the Mole Men. I have no idea why. It just upset me on a perfect... <laughs> it's because I didn't actually enjoy any of the, like, H.R. Puffin stuff aesthetic. That right. wasn't my generation. That was, like, Mike, like that older Gen X thing, but like, yeah, Tim and Eric awesome show and Tom goes to the mayor again for better or for worse left a very big impact on humor. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And then there, of course, those are the standouts. There were tons of shows that only lasted one season. And you go look at the list on Wikipedia of shows. It is absurd. Just it's countless, countless shows that just went for one season that you'll never hear of again. They also picked up more shows in syndication with standouts like King of the Hill and Bob's Burgers, as well as anime series like Fully Cooley, Full Metal Alchemist, Neon Genesis Evangelion, Bleach, and Death Note. All big hitters, first appearing in Adult Swim. Then you have the, the Adult Teen Hunger Force movie in 2007, the, the feature-length film that Adult Swim produces centered around Aqua Teen and their search for the fourth lost fourth member, Chicken Biddle. It grosses $5 million on a budget of $750,000. The, the formula's working at this point, and I mean, massively. I, I would say the Chicken Biddle is not what people remember the most about the Aqua Teen movie. I would say <laughs> uh, the fact that they caused a terrorism scare in Boston yes. is what really, really kind yeah, of... Uh, you want to explain this Boston incident to us, Jake? Oh, uh, well, you have to understand that two of the most... Uh, popular characters from Aqua Teen Hunger Force was uh, uh, Ignicknock and Ur, I believe, were, are the two of them. Uh, we are the Moonanites. You know, those guys, the Pix, you know, the Atari 2600 Space Invader looking aliens. And uh, around this time, there was this very viral uh, DIY project called LED Throwies that I remember specifically, like, you would see articles about them on Boing Boing. You'd see instructions how to make them on MySpace, it was like, just for some reason, 
in 2007, attaching cheap LEDs that you could buy in bulk to cheap batteries and then throwing magnets on them and then throwing them in like random places where they would stick to like uh, steel bridges or sculptures or something was a huge deal. I used to sell them at anime conventions uh, as a side gig when we would do comedy shows out there. And as part of the guerrilla marketing for uh, Aqua Teen Hunger Force adult movie, adult movie for theaters, or I forgot the, all the colon, uh, they had a multi-city project where people would do homemade light-up LED uh, art of the Moonanites and stick them with magnets in random places throughout the city so that, say you're on the subway, you'd see like a cool little Moonanite to, rem- to remind you of the upcoming film. Uh, most cities... It was just a neat little street marketing thing that went unabided. In Boston, there was a giant panic as citizens started calling in the devices as they spotted them, uh, fearing that they were improvised explosive devices. Again, it was the 2000s. We're in a post-9-11 Iraq, uh, Afghanistan kind of world. Still are not getting into it on our nerd podcast. And... (laughs) Uh, the amount of paranoia and alarmism in the air caused a total shutdown of of uh, public transportation and streets as bomb squads were called in to, quote unquote, dismantle the devices. It uh, was a giant PR fiasco for Cartoon Network. Uh, the artist who made them was a guy named Peter Berdovsky. He was arrested and had to do community service because of the incident. And uh, Cartoon Network had to pay like... Uh, I forget the, it's like a couple of million dollars in fines and like. No one uh, else, I know you mentioned the story, but no one cared anywhere else but Boston. Yeah. By the way, (laughs) like this was done all over the country. Boston super gave a shit about it for some reason, thought it was a bomb and way freaked out. But uh, yeah, big, big, weird moment in the history. For the fucking (laughs) Moonanites. I was always more of a fan of. Emery and Oglethorpe, but, you know, that's just me. But either way, 2007, Adult Swim, very much so hitting their stride. The thing that really keeps them going after that, though, is, of course, Rick and Morty. And again, don't freak out when we don't talk about it for very long. We're going to do an entire episode of Rick and Morty, I promise. We'll probably do an episode of fucking Szechuan Sauce, all right? Let's just... (laughs) Let's just keep it rocking here, though. They started out as a, or Rick and Morty started out as a short for Channel 101, which is Dan Harmon's Gonzo Short Film Festival. And Adult Swim ends up picking it up for a series, which ended up being their most watched show in Adult Swim history. They needed this to happen, honestly, at this point, because there was a Disney Fox buyout eventually that results in them losing Bob's Burgers and Family Guy, which was the thing that was really keeping them afloat before that time. This, oh, what's, yeah, so this is super key, is it's, fa- it's really is Family Guy and Futurama and all these old Fox shows that are keeping, like, Adult Swim in the money. They're getting huge uh, viewers and, you know, sparking, it's the, the reason why the response on Adult Swim was so huge that these series got bought back by major networks. Yeah. Is because the Adult Swim viewership was that good. And those Nielsen ratings uh, basically gave them the money to make stuff like, uh, I don't know, Assy McGee. Let's say yes, Frisky let's say Dango, Moral Oral, <laughs> uh, The Drinky Crow Show, Xavier <laughs> Renegade Angel, which was fucking amazing from the same team that did uh, Wonder Shows. But whatever. None of these shows were what like set the world on fire. It was still... Uh, you know, all these Family Guy merchandise and Family Guy ad space that kind of financed the whole thing. But by getting Rick and Morty off the ground, 
they finally had a, a honest to God mainstream loot crate level marketing merchandise hit that bankrolled the entire network. Now, around this time, too, we have to mention the Eric Andre show. Very Space Ghost inspired, by the way. It kind of took its place. And it's just the, this amazing live action, fucking chaotic. Like, like that was big at a time when I was starting to really not be able to watch comedy because my own career was struggling so much. And I couldn't help myself with, with that one. I know it's for a so fact, good. we definitely played shows at Red Star Bar with Eric Andre. <laughs> yes, too. I also like know, knew Eric Andre. Not nah, We weren't like buddies. And Hannibal Burris as well. We did tons of shows with and stuff. So it was just very surreal to see that become as successful as it was. But I cannot deny how fucking uh, my only problem with this. I'm so jealous. I, I, I'm not the, I didn't come up with that. You know what yeah. I mean? It's just so fucking funny. Everything in that show. Then there's off the air, which was just full on. We're just going to give you the psychedelic stoner nonsense, just completely unfettered. Just this, bizarre taking just odd source material and morphing it and editing it and just creating this bizarre psychedelic experience on TV. It's like they went full adult swim at that point. And anime actually was leaning a little more towards the shonen during this time. You've got one piece, Dragon Ball Z Kai, things like that. Naruto and Naruto Shippuden. Yeah. So it's just a little bit, just kind of just straight on going full shonen there. And that's what brings us to the more current era. Now, what defines this era is that Adult Swim actually gets to take over the channel now starting at 8 p.m., which is two hours earlier than before. The new time slot meant a bit of a rebranding. They get uh, bumps that incorporate live-action pans of landscapes, signs, objects, or animals with the logo embedded somewhere on the image. They use their newfound popularity due to Rick and Morty to get even weirder, which I love that that is... They're like, let's go this way with it. And uh, they do things like odd fake infomercials and whatnot. And they also take uh, risks. I, obviously, uh, the I most popular whole, of those. Okay. Yeah, Too Many Cooks. Yeah, well, let's get into it. Too Many Cooks. During this infomercial block, there was the big breakout, which is Too Many Cooks. This aired during that time when they did the weird infomercial stuff. Created by Casper Kelly. He's a writer on Squidbillies and Your Pretty Face is Going to Hell, starring Mr. Henry Zabrowski. Oh, my God. Who's that? It is a parody of a traditional sitcom opening that unravels into horror territory. Actually, I don't even want to describe it anymore. If you've never seen Too Many Cooks, you need to YouTube search Too Many Cooks right now. It is one of my favorite things. It is so great. It's. I was working at uh, College Humor Dorkly by this point, and the just viral, just... Too many cooks took over the internet for an yeah. entire day. Everybody Exploded. had to stop what they were wa- doing and just sit and watch the whole thing. Kelly said, I've always been a fan of humor that just pushes things past the point of funny. When you watch those Andy Kaufman routines or the old David Letterman bits where he keeps repeating and repeating a joke until it becomes banal and irritating and then eventually works its way back to being hilarious again, that to me is the funniest. So the notion was simply... What if you had this credit sequence to a full house type show that went on and on and on? And it's just so well done. I've watched it so many times. It just, it, you always discover something new every time you watch it. Uh, incredible stuff. And just, and just another example of how much fun they had with their stuff and how just wild Lazo kept everything there, which is great. At this point, they're like doing some more high profile things like, um, uh... They get uh, Gendy Tartakovsky to come back to do a whole new season, a darker season of Samurai Jack. Yeah. And they greenlight Primal, which is an even 
more crazy violent show. And this yeah. is a time where he's directing like the H- Hotel Transylvania movies. So like it's an insane get that they got this like legendary modern 2D animator to go back to the well with these action series. They also commissioned more episodes of Fully Coley. You mentioned those branch off seasons as well. And of course, Sexual Dynamo Joe Para with Joe Para talks with you airing that I, I it was Mitch's like an, an anti-adult swim show in the sense that it's like not trying to rev you up. It is the it literally could, could put you to sleep. It is just very soft-spoken Joe Para, just getting the viewer to take it easy, chill out. And then, of course, they continue in the live-action space with "Your Pretty Face Is Going to Hell," starring Henry Zabrowski. Is essentially a workplace comedy in hell with like the Aqua Teen people. And just a great time. I'm excited to talk to Henry more about that. Of course, you could guess that we're going to get Henry to sit down with us and talk about his experience working with Adult Swim. But more on that later. In August of 2015, now we're up to this point, Aqua Teen airs its final episode after a 14-year run with 138 episodes and a movie. In 2018, AT&T acquired Warner Media, which led to big changes in 2019. And this is around the time that Mike Lazo retires, in December of 2019 to be exact. And it attributes to both the uh, is attributed to both the merger as well as some fire he received while commenting on women in comedy and women at Adult Swim, which is largely male dominated. And something about how uh, women don't like conflict, it's not good. Uh, uh, it's not it's- good luck. It's at some point uh, during a series of upfronts, someone in our this is around the Gawker BuzzFeed height of media controversies. Someone actually noticed like, hey, they didn't announce a single female led show in a slate of like 35 individual programs. That's kind of weird. Hey, why don't we go back and check the history of Adult Swim? Oh, no. (laughs) And it's I can it's I can see how it happens. Like, again, we we did the whole history right now. It was literally a bunch of weirdos in a warehouse in 1993 getting together and playing with like old like interns and, you know, uh, all these guys just playing with old Hanna-Barbera stuff. And like they became an institution so rapidly that like what was a fun project with a bunch of like weird friends just like they never took a time, took the time to be like, oh, fuck, we're a media institution right now. We now have res- like new responsibilities. They just never took care of that. And uh, they've been making some headway. They renewed Tuca and Birdie, which is uh, run by Lisa Hanawalt. And like maybe one of my favorite new animated shows of all time. I'm so glad they're giving it a second season after Netflix kind of dropped it uh, kind of shittily. Uh, after not really giving it a chance. So, like, it took a, it took them a while, but, like, they are getting back on the right foot. Yeah, for sure. And, um, yeah, it's, it's uh, you know, it's still going strong. What's cool is, yeah, Michael Oweline, who took over, you know, he's been there from the beginning, and so it actually probably won't be taken into a largely different direction, but hopefully just we'll get a little bit more diversity in there, especially with gender uh, mixing a little bit more in terms of uh, who's leading the content creation in, in Adult Swim. But regardless, that is essentially brings us up to date with Adult Swim. I've got a big fun summary quote uh, about the whole thing. Do you have anything else for us before we uh, close this puppy out, Jake? Just every, you know, Netflix definitely is stealing a lot of that Adult Swim energy with shows like Big Mouth and BoJack Horseman. For uh, sure. 
Fox has given Bob's Burgers and Family Guy new life. Like adult animation is not, especially cheap adult animation is not a new concept. It is not something that needs its own weird little side hovel to exist in anymore because Adult Swim proved that it works. Because of Adult Swim, yeah. And, you know, Simpsons, like, opened the door, but then, you know, big networks kind of shut it really quickly. And Matt Groening would attest to how frustrated he got at Fox after a while, and how, especially with Futurama and where that went. So, you know, you're never, your show's never as safe as it seems to be at Adult Swim. I am very eager to see what the future of the network holds in a post AT&T Warner Media kind of yeah. world. Like, sure. you know, will the good stuff be relegated to HBO Max? Will these huge companies like where it is like they are that streamlined and that kind of, you know, it's no longer just crazy old Ted in his offices shooting guns at buffaloes. Yeah. It is like just the most highly focused and efficient teams of media executives keeping watch over every little thing like. Will they still have that freedom? We'll see. Or will something new come along and like the millennial kind of Gen X fusion aesthetic that Adult Swim kind of made its bones on? Maybe that's not what will resonate anymore. Who knows? Who knows? Either way, here's a quote to finish it out from Captain Christian, author of uh, Adult Swim, The History of a Television Empire. Amazing YouTube channel. Don't keep listening to us. But if you do like nerd history video essays, definitely give them a watch. But Adult Swim wasn't just about giving content a second chance. It was about giving it that first chance. It's a hub where creators can create, where the art is experimental and transgressive, surreal and sloppy. It's a place that welcomes risk-taking that wouldn't immediately dismiss a show where the main character is literally a pair of ass cheeks. Adult Swim canceled Adult Swim canceled your favorite show? Good. The important part is it gave you a favorite show, most of which weren't even designed for longevity. They're supposed to be fleeting. That's what makes them so special. It's about spontaneity, about the community. It's about the experience. And that's one thing you can't get from Netflix, Netflix. And that's all I got to say about that. Someone else's word sums it up better than my own. Uh, I love it. I love Adult Swim. What would you say is your favorite episode of Baby Blues? Would it be episode three, Uh... Rodney Has Two Daddies? Or maybe episode 13, the finale, Wanda Moves Up. It's just so many great moments and great My TV. favorite was uh, definitely Baby Blows His Brains Out, which was <laughs> one of my favorite episodes of anything. It's literally just him shooting himself in the face over and over again. Holden, you switch around the time frames long enough, and like we could have gotten that. <laughs> if it was Baby Blues in the tape archive, like we could have had that. Who knows? It's true. We could have. And I'm excited to go binge Baby Blues now. And to try to understand Jake better. So maybe we'll get there today. Either way, thank you so much for joining us. And if you'd like to support us further, patreon.com forward slash whizbrew. It's time for another whizbrew Patreon shout out. This one is coming from Gabe, who says, love the show and have listened in many strange life situations this year. Pre-COVID-19, you were a tour soundtrack for my band Careful Gaze when touring was a thing. Now I listen when I pursue my goal of a run for each day of this year or in the tub when all seems hopeless. Thanks for being my 2020 soundtrack. Uh, absolutely, Gabe. And uh, I did check out some of that careful gaze and sounds pretty cool, man. Uh, keep up the good work. If you'd like to send in a Patreon shout out, that is the $25 Patreon tier. You also get access to the Sunday study session and, of course, every weekly bonus episode. Also, check out twitch.tv forward slash holdnators ho. I'm streaming mad streaming Monday, Tuesday, Friday. Uh, get it. Get it in your grits. Get it in your grill.
Jake! Follow me on Twitter at BestJakeYoung. I post uh, weird findings from the week's research, uh, random jokes. Just all my great thought poops are available on Twitter.com slash BestJakeYoung. And hey. And until next time, Holden. Yeah. Always remember, Jake. Keep on whizzing. And never stop bruising. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Listening to your favorite podcast? That's smart. Earning your degree online from Southern New Hampshire University? That's really smart. With 24-7 access to coursework, no set class times, and dedicated student support, you can go to school when and where it works for you. Low online tuition means you can even do it for less. And dedicated student support means we'll be with you from day one to graduation and beyond. Join a community of learners just like you. Go to snhu.edu today to start your free application. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.